Well, we've had the bye and there's just enough time to take a breath and reflect on Hawthorne's season so far before we look ahead to the massive clash at Marvel Stadium against the Dogs. Welcome to this special edition of the Hawk Talk Podcast. My name is Nick Mason and with me as always, my co-host, G'day Tiz. Now, before you say anything, I feel like I need to introduce our special guest. Joining us this evening, we do have a returning friend of the show and chair of the Harry Morrison Fan Club. Welcome aboard once again, Andrew Johnston. Good evening, boys. Thank you very much for having me on board the show. Now, the reason why I brought you straight in, Andrew, is because I feel like I know what's coming. And I just have to head it off at the pass and introduce a much-beloved segment. It's the return of Connor Corner. (laughs) Nash, Nash, Nash. Nash, 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 Nash. N-A-S-H, Nash. N-A-S-H, Nash. Nash, 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 Nash. Nash, 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 Nash. He's back. Two more years. You asked, who's the future? It is Connor Nash. That's that's how this works, boys. Yeah, this is actually going to be the entire episode now. Just wipe the run down. It's just Connor, Connor, Connor all night long. And there was some terrific graphics. They've got him in a Top Gun theme. It's spectacular news. Um, I'm very pleased with this. Obviously, I would have loved the, the Mitch Lewis signing to be announced, which I'm sure is coming imminently, <laughs> I would hope. Yeah, I mean, it raises some questions about other midfielders we've we've got on the list, but it's thoroughly deserved from Connor. I mean, he's we would never have expected this result from him or his impact he's had this year. And um, it's just incredible that Sammy was able to pick him out of the twos and, and, and do this for him and just tell him this is what you need to be and, and he achieved it. Uh, I don't want to continue on Connor Nash too long after he missed that goal against Frio. I'm still, <laughs> he's still in my bad books, to be honest. No, it's terrific for him and uh, thoroughly deserved from the work rate he's put in. All right. Well, we've had a little bit of Connor Nash. I mentioned Mitch Lewis, and there'll be plenty more of that when we get to our mid-season check-in. But, uh, AJ, you're a big Harry Morrison fan. You're a noted Harry Morrison fan all over social media. Uh, tell us how you've seen his season so far. Um, I've been really, I've been really impressed with Harry so far this year. I think he's he's not going to be that guy that's going to be a standout player for you every week, and you're not expecting that of him. He's he's going to be a guy that contributes in small ways every week, and I think every role he's had in the side, he's contributed really well. He's played up to that position. We saw the stats from uh, AFL player ratings. He's ranked in the top. 10 or 15 wingmen in the competition at this point. It might even be higher than that. I he can't touched remember. the top five over the last round, didn't he, Nick? Didn't we see that come out from AFL? I think he did come in at fifth, so. And we've been, he, he hasn't got the leg speed of um, some of the other guys that we've had on that position in the past, who I'm still not naming, as, <laughs> as my rule goes. I haven't said his name in two years. I'm not going to start now. But we are desperately in need of that extra wingman, you know, flips been down for a lot of the season. Obviously the Tom Scully experiment didn't work out the way we would have wanted it to. We needed players who could play that wing role and do a really good job of them. And I think Harry, there is a genuine affection there because I've been lucky enough to meet the guy through work a couple of times, but I genuinely think he's lived up to that level that you need him at. Again, he's not going to be your best player in year 22, but he does more than enough each week. That you go, okay, well, Harry had another good game this week. Harry contributed again. That's exactly what you're looking for for a player in that position on the ground. Well, I went from rating him no more than a fringe player um, to this season. He's safe as houses. He's best 22. I mean, he's not losing that spot anytime soon, it seems like. There's two wingmen. And uh, he's got one of those spots sewn up. That's his. Um, the other one, as you mentioned, AJ, is still very much up for debate as to who slots in there. We're still trying to work out that piece of the puzzle. You're also in a good position there where you've got guys who are fighting for midfield spots. And we'll, we'll probably talk about in the mid-season check-in that there's five or six 
potential midfielders who aren't getting an opportunity. And if you go by what Sam's done so far this year, you probably get a chance to roll a few of those guys through that role and say, well, can you play an inside midfielder or can you potentially move to the wing and make that position your own? So do you think Harry Morrison is is like a, an upgrade target? Do you think they're looking for someone quicker and Harry would be better served in a forward line, half forward role? He certainly knows where the goals are. Yeah, beautiful kick and wonderful inside 50. Uh, delivery, yeah. That could be what he ends up being, is he could be a stopgap wingman while you find the guys who are going to belong there. As Nick said, I don't see him coming out of the best 22, no matter what position you are. I think you can find a position up forward potentially for him going forward. As you guys said, he's got a lovely kick. He doesn't miss when he gets those opportunities. And we've also seen him go back a little bit here and there and play that role relatively well. So he could become a utility kind of player around the ground where he can do a job for you every week. Harry Morrison, handyman. He's uh, he's slotted in very nicely into the Hawthorne lineup this season in particular. I guess that's a cue for us to move on to our mid-season check-in. We're, we do have a bonus episode over, over on Patreon in which Tiz and I grade each of the players. We, we go very much a deep dive player-by-player player analysis. This is going to be a bit more broader than that, I suppose. I want to start with uh, you guys chiming in on your really pleasing win of the season. Ooh, best win, eh? Well, it has to be Geelong for me. It's always the big one. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it, from the from the the rest of the season, it looks like Geelong are trying to get in the top four again, certainly play finals. When is that cliff coming, Nick? It just doesn't arrive. Well, the cliff comes in September. We know that. Uh, <laughs> that's the beautiful thing about Geelong is that I hold no fear in any great measure about what they can do when finals come around. I know they'll make it. That just seems to be fated, but um, I don't believe they'll do anything special. But for me, it's got to be Geelong at the MCG. It holds very it holds personal significance for me as well. Um, it was a really fun day, and I got to go with one of my friends who... It's not often that someone from my social circle gets invited into that inner sanctum of M10 where I am a completely different person, which is not to say that I'm a loudmouth or I'm angry or, or anything like that. I just have a different energy about me. And so it's really cool when one of my friends gets to see that and uh, to share that with them. Such a magnificent win and M10 in raptures and Mitch Lewis out the back, which we'll talk about later. Um that that was just a special win for me. Um, I'm curious, AJ, are you on the same page as us rating Geelong as the best one? In terms of the one I enjoyed the most was probably the Geelong game. And part of that was that was my first time back in my seat in M5 at the ground in since 2019. I hadn't been back to the G and sat in that seat, which was nice. And I'd been to the two games beforehand and we you know, had that heartbreaker against Carlton and then got absolutely pumped by St Kilda. So getting back to that game was great. But in terms of actual quality of victory, I still think Brisbane was the best one that um, we played some really good football. We scored well. And also the composure in the second half of that game, when Brisbane started to come, that we were able to hold them off to an extent. We, we dropped their colors for a little bit late in that second half, but we're able to get back in charge of that game and take the victory. And as, as our listeners are not surprised by, I always have an affinity for a game played in Launceston. So. Yeah, absolutely. Tassie boy yourself. I, I seem to recall, I might be misremembering, correct me if I'm wrong, um, we were on the canvas for that first quarter, weren't we? I, I seem to recall the Lions got off to a pretty decent start and were flexing their muscles, and we got back into it. Yeah, well, it was a study in momentum, really. Is uh, Sammy Mitchell has been speaking about arresting momentum, and that's one of the games where momentum just seesawed throughout the day and eventually we managed to well we managed to show the lines up a bit for speed in the last quarter really good victory but still not as heartwarming as the Geelong losing (laughs) (laughs) yeah agreed I'm on the same page there Uh, what about our worst loss because we have to review those sadly too uh what are we four nine going into the buy so we've already reviewed them so we can move right along there we (laughs) go To me, that, that was the Essendon one, and it doesn't need bare repeating. That was just a complete stuff-up of a football evening. Yep, Essendon, and it's not even close. Yeah, that's right, Essendon and Daylight. Even on the tram in, when news filtered through of their late outs, I just had this sneaky suspicion. I thought, oh, the stage is set. I don't like this. Everything's stacked against them, and I feel like there's a a famous victory in the works here. Or as far as they're concerned, a famous victory, but a big blunder, a big dropped game for us. I don't 
yeah, that that's one of the more miserable experiences I've had in the footy lately, so I'm happy to move on from that. Uh, what about our PCM podium placings as they stand? Obviously in flux, in progress towards uh, as we move towards the end of the year, but who's who's your gold, silver and bronze at the moment? Oh, you'd have to go Sicily top, Newcomb second, and then there's a whole raft of players that could be third, I imagine. But Lewis would be up there, wouldn't he, with Amira and... Mira's had a couple of really excellent games that you tend to forget. Tom Mitchell's still doing Tom Mitchell things. I imagine he's getting votes inside the club. Yeah, I, I initially, when I started thinking about this, I had Tom Mitchell as third, but, you know, O'Meara maybe as well. You're right, there are a few in the conversation. Dylan Moore, but potentially. Um, Hardwick has been a regular staple in years gone by. I'm not sure he gets near it this year, though. I've got uh, Harry Morrison one, Harry Morrison two, and <laughs> Harry Morrison three. Personally, now uh, I, I reckon I've got Sicily, Duke, and Dilmore as my top three at the moment. Yeah, as I read the rundown, that's what I've listed as well. Um, but that number th- that number three is absolutely up for grabs. So Harry Morrison would be a good show for that bronze, I reckon. Um, but th- that's all the official stuff. But let's bring it back to a personal basis where you could put Harry Morrison as the one, two, three. Who are your most enjoyable Hawks to watch through to the bye? I've probably got Dylan Moore at number one this year. I just, I I love, we we knew how good he was and there was all this bluster at the start of the season because champion data rated him as an elite player and you had people outside (laughs) of Hawthorne saying, oh, who even is this bloke? I think he's taken an even bigger step on where he was last year. And I mean, he's only, what, he's had, one game where he hasn't kicked a goal this year. You might be right about that. Yep, that's right. Because he was on a he was on a wonderful streak for a while there. Goal goal every week. Exactly right. And then they've also had the opportunity where in certain games he'll kick a goal in the first half, which is a, a pattern for Dylan. Then they've been able to throw him back if they have to, and he's been able to accumulate a bit of the football, or he can continue to play that role that he's played so well on the forward line. So I reckon Dylan Moore at number one. James Sicily at number two, just because it's so good to have Sis back. And it doesn't look like he missed a year and a half of football. He looks like he's barely missed a game in any of that period of time. Um, Number three, he hasn't had a perfect season. He's missed a few games through injury. But because we're talking enjoyability of watching, I still think when he's on, there's no one better at Hawthorne to watch than Chad Wingard. I think he's had more than a few moments where he's looked really good. And when... Wings is getting into a game and starting to really play his best football. He's just a joy to watch. He's an enigma, Chad, isn't he? Like <laughs> He can do everything, but he just can't do enough all the time. And it's so frustrating. But when he's got the ball, you're delighted. Tis, you say he can do everything. He can also very well do nothing on, on the day too. You just never know with Chad. One of the things he can do, though, is actually get a free kick when he wants it. Which no one else in the team can do. Oh, he loves a free kick, does Chad? And he irritates the opposition. Also, nice to see long sleeves back out in the <laughs> out on the park for Hawthorne from someone. So, kudos to Wings for bringing the sleeves back. That's culture. That's a change of culture right there under Sammy. Um, Wingard. There is nothing better though when Wingard has like a truly arsy goal to frustrate your opposition fans because he's done nothing all day. Then they're like, "Oh bloody hell, this bloke!" What did you feel <laughs> when he uh, feigned enormous injury in that marking contest against Collingwood, and then just took off out the back and kicked a lovely goal? What was your reaction to that? Well, I, I don't believe he feigned it. It was a heavy enough hit. I think he just recovered well enough. Yeah. Oh, come on. You don't get up that quickly if the bloke put his knee through. <laughs> oh, you do if there's a goal on, sure. Exactly. <laughs> I, I agree with AJ. You sniff a goal and Chad's just blazed away. I could have had both of my legs broken and if there was an open goal square, <laughs> I'm going to have the that's that's Chad's style. I, I never read into that as, as him feigning it. I thought it was genuinely a heavy hit. And he did well to bounce up from it. Um, that could have been far worse. I, I felt he overplayed it, but it did look really bad at the time. The the bloke that really surprised me, and, and I've missed him, uh, was the watchability of Jack Gunston. The guy is just elite. He's a, he's a he's a Ferrari playing football. It's incredible to watch, even when he's not completely on song. He's he's just where the ball is going to be, and even when he was injured that day against Collingwood, the ball kept following him around. <laughs> it's just <laughs> he couldn't have the impact he wanted. Some of the goals he's slammed through this year have been legit some of the best of his career, I reckon. 
there have been stuff for the highlight reel, 100%. The couple against Port Adelaide, especially turning the guy inside out in the pocket, you never thought he'd put it on the boot and send it sailing through, but he did. He found a way because he's Jack Gunston. And then I really want to see more of Newcomb in the forward 50 after that flying mark that he took at the MCG. And obviously Sicily, we've already mentioned, he's he's incredible to watch. Seemingly out of position, seemingly having put two hands in the back. How the hell did he manage to keep position there against a bloke who's a foot taller than him? Uh, just, we're very lucky to have Sicily at the back there, and it just shows how much we missed him last year. What about you, Nick? You would be... Um, is Lewis getting a mention here? Or? <laughs> this this is the most indulgent number one I reckon I've ever picked for this sort of thing. Absolutely, it's Mitch Lewis. I don't want people to think like, oh, I'm so vindicated. It's not about that. I'm not rubbing it in people's faces. I'm just purely... You're the one that marks the goal down when he starts the lead. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Isn't that such a good feeling, though, that there's... There's a key forward at Hawthorne where when the ball gets into his hands or if the ball's in his general vicinity, you're like, we're on here. There's a real chance he's going to clunk the thing and if he gets it into his hands, you feel like he's going to kick it. We haven't, you know, no disrespect to anyone other than Jack Gunston and Luke Bruce in the last couple of years, but we haven't had that in a while. Yeah, it's been a long while since I've been able to call it when the ball is sort of mid-arc hitting into the forward 50 and I just say aloud, yep, he's got it. And then he'll, he'll clunk it. Without fail, Mitch Lewis is just such a safe pair of hands and, you know, charging out on the lead, big pack marks, clutch goals. He's, he's starting to kick bigger bags than he ever did. Come on, that's enough. You never expected him to kick as well as he is this year, right? Oh, he doesn't miss. People who had perused the preseason guide, they would know that I absolutely hoped that this would be the case for Mitch Lewis. I wasn't sure. Absolutely no way sure. But... He's turned into uh, main event Mitch Lewis. He's the main event of that forward line, and I'm absolutely delighted for him. The second guy on my list is Jai Newcomb because um, he's just such a heart and soul player of this Hawthorne side. Generally, if he digs in, uh, we're a good shot at winning. Uh, and I can't believe that opposition teams have not, well, seemingly not done a blanket job on him just yet. He, he fades from games occasionally, but I haven't seen from the opening bounce a team really go to work on him. And I don't know why, because he's so effective in getting Hawthorne over the line, just dragging the club on his back. Uh, and the third, while he hasn't had a stellar season, I, I still find enormous entertainment value in CJ. Surely Jay'd be frustrated with his year so far, I'd imagine, but hopefully at the back end. He can do what he did last year and just light the place up. A couple of injury interruptions in there as well. So you haven't really seen him be able to put together that consistency that he put together in 2021 either. So you have to give him a little bit more time there, I guess, as well. Yeah, his closing speed's been hampered in the uh, in the contests I've been noticing. So, um, yeah, I would have thought coming into the year, though, Bramble would be on this list. And he's also had a similar interrupted year. So, look... I'm really impressed with where we are, though, as a club. Not necessarily the wins, but the number of wins, I should say, but who we've been competitive against, which clubs have struggled to beat us. Um, Sammy must be wrapped with how it's going so far. And it helps that a few players have stepped up to the plate that we didn't necessarily count on. Uh, I want to get to our surprise packets for season 2022 so far. I'll rattle off mine first and then let you guys go ahead. I'd say Connor McDonald, being a first-year player, um, I didn't expect necessarily a first-year player to acclimatise this well. I think he played 11 games in a row. He's finding the scoreboard. He looks like a complete natural out there. Uh, and the second guy, as I would have flagged earlier, uh, Harry Morrison, who, again, I had pegged as a, a fringe player and nothing more, but he's completely owned his position. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's been a delightful surprise this year. But what about you guys? Obviously, I, I would... You know, Harry goes without saying because we've established in the program so far how big of a fan of Harry I am. But I I really want to put Jack Scrimshaw on the list because he was great last year, but he is, when he, again, when he's having good games, and I know he's had some issues with the shoulder and he had the concussion in there as well, which didn't help. But whenever he has a really good game, you look at him and think this is a guy who has the capability to be an elite player in that position. He just, he so often does things that really impress you in the way he plays. And that's like a lot of those young guys in the back line. It's CJ's another, and even Will Day's another one there too, that you need to see that consistency week in and week out to slot them into that next echelon of players. But when he's having a great game, I reckon Scrim is as good to, 
play in that position as we have at this club and could stand up against some of those similar type of players in the competition as well. Yeah, well, I just have to go with Connor, I think. Connor McDonald has surprised me enormously, uh, how good he looks at the level. And then he surprised me again at VFL when I thought he would struggle all day, having struggled for the first half, but moving outside of the pack situation, he, he led to that, that victory at VFL level. So um, I'm very impressed with him and, and very excited about what he'll be in two to three years' time. What about the flip side, the most underwhelming? Now, I do suspect that there might be a consensus here, but I'm going to chuck it out there anyway. What do you guys reckon? Mate, I gave the bloke an F. I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com slash Pod. James Warple is having a dog of a year. I was going through his stats earlier and I was looking at some of our midfielders and where they sit, averages below average, different stuff like that. And, look, he's just fallen off the perch and there's a, it's a lot of work back. I um, I thought Warps, unfortunately, was too easy of an answer because <laughs> we love him, but it's just not working out for him this year, which is really disappointing. So I, I went with another one and I hate to say this too because I absolutely adore him, but my most underwhelming so far this year has been Luke Roast. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because in the lead up, to this uh to this recording i was watching highlights from our games this year and he still has the ability to bob up with some absolute rippers bruce is important but um he's those moments are starting to become few and further between um and i think he does fade significantly and uh i don't know his time's coming i think in terms of like career longevity i'd say gunston's probably further along the path if we're looking at those two as a dynamic duo, I think Gunston's further or closer to retirement. And Bruce just starting to get there. Still really good for us, but I'm starting to see signs this year. Oh, don't get me wrong. He's comfortably a best 22 player. And I think our forward line, even just in its structure, is better when he plays. And also we talked about guys like C-Mac coming into this forward line. And the same with Sammy Butler now is that they will learn so much from having a guy of Luke Bruce's caliber and experience in that lineup. But that's also not a bad thing to think, okay, well, he's coming towards potentially towards the end of his career and he's got two young potential uh, small forwards. And we'll add Brockman to that list as well, who unfortunately we're not going to see again this year due to injury. But there's a lot of guys who are going to get better from having him around the club. And while he may not be able to put out those performances every week, he can still teach those young guys and say, okay, here's how I'd act in this situation. Here's what I'd do. Here's what you need to be looking for. And I think that's invaluable. And that's why I personally am really glad he didn't end up leaving the club at the end of last year. And we've seen in his own reports that he had a serious think about going to GWS in the end and decided not to go. I think we all benefit as a football club from having him still there. 100%. And Dylan Moore has been one such apprentice so far. And you can see the influence there. That's been magnificent to see. Uh, yeah, the likes of Brockman and, and Butler, um, even C-Mac, as you say, it, it is a really good thing that he decided to stick around. And a really selfless thing when you think about it. Are we going to talk about Impey and, and Will Day and how they're not really hitting their straps? Yeah, well, in the player gradings, I did, I did, you know, give Impy a D, which was perhaps a little bit harsh because he's coming back from injury, and that's why I neglected to mention him here. My most underwhelming, I nominated Warple for this. But that was too easy. AJ told us that was way too easy. Well, it is too easy. Like he's... It sounds like I'm slamming Jimmy like I don't like him. I absolutely love the guy. I just I want it to come together. I'm just... I'm not saying it right now, which is really disappointing because we, we saw in his best and fairest year what he's capable of when he plays his best footy. And that's, that probably makes it harder is knowing how good he can be. So it's a very hard position for Sammy now because if we want to get... I know he's got another year contracted, but if we want to get the most for Warple and we decide he's not the future, we probably need to play him to, and make him look good to get a decent price. But also, do we decide that he is the future? And we've already tried to move on a few blokes in that midfield because it just doesn't work. We're still pretty non-competitive through the midfield. It's one of our weak points. It's where teams expose us each week. Um, do we just back him against someone else? And I know Jagger Amir has been put forward and uh, has has played quite well forward. So, But also, he, he has the least um, durable body, I expect. So that would be on the on the cards as well. And 
look, I think you have to. I think Warple has to come back into this lineup. But how are they going to make him look good? And how are they going to? Can they find a spot for him? And do they want to? I guess is the is the question. Many many moving parts to this midfield day. Eh? That is one of the more intriguing questions for this second half of the season. Is we know that's still a project. How are we going to go about it? Is the question really? And Newcomb's gone completely past him. <laughs> it's just ridiculous how far Nukes has gone. And and Warple's struggling to find even a secondary position at at VFL level. So. Uh, it's it, it's just really hard. But Duke's also in a similar position to where Warple was in his second year and that he's taken this giant leap forward and is being a catalyst for our midfield rebuilding. And that's exactly what Warple did the year he won the best in Ferris. So you still, you, I don't want to talk down John Newcomb because I reckon he's going to be a star, but you also need to watch where he's going to go in the next couple of years. That's exactly right. I think Warple was totally de- derailed by... Tom Mitchell coming back from injury and being the you know a Brownlow medalist and taking up the mantle again, so it's just there's too many like for likes in that midfield and they need to clearly define what they're doing going forward because let's face it, Omira and probably Mitchell are not there for the next premiership anyway. No, that's what I'm beginning to suspect. It's still very much a work in progress. We're going to move on to our favourite goals, uh, respectively, for the season so far. Uh, I've already mentioned mine, so I'll get it out of the way. I think the closing stages of uh, the Geelong game, the MCG, uh, Frost hack-kicking it to the to the centre of the ground. Uh, there's a contest. Bruce ends up with it, punts it forward, and Mitch Lewis is in acres of space inexplicably, and it runs into an open goal, and that's the contest. That had me jumping for joy. I know it's not the most skillful. It's not even Mitch Lewis's best goal of his season, that one would be the one from outside 50 against Brisbane. That was the best of his career. But uh, the one that I enjoyed most was that sealer against Geelong. I mean, Tiz is already disappointed in Chad Wingard going full Lazarus and recovering in that game <laughs> against Collingwood. So I can't talk about that one. Um, no, I'm, I'm with you, Nick. I reckon that goal from Mitch against Geelong because... I'm talking to the choir, I'm singing to the choir, I guess, when I say that you never feel safe against Geelong when we're playing those games. But that was the first time all day when he put that one through that we kind of looked around in the section of the members were like, we got this. We're home here. And it's a nice feeling to have that against Geelong. <laughs> I think we all know that much. We still do have some of those moments against Geelong. Like that rivalry, although we're in different parts of the ladder, that still heats up every single year. You remember that the closing stages with O'Meara a couple of years ago? And yeah, that, that snap on the run. Ah, oh, just so many great moments. And all defeating Geelong, hey? <laughs> One of my favourite goals, I think because of the dash that Impey showed and careless abandoned to just attack Collingwood and then all of a sudden it was in Connor McDonald's hands and I thought you know we haven't looked likely at all there's a lot of pressure on this kick and he just relaxed and put it straight through from about I don't know was it about 45 50 great goal and I thought that is a young man who's going to be playing 150 200 games for Hawthorne right there it was a hell of a play we just it was a rickety race through that corridor, and to get it done on the run was really pleasing to see. Uh, you also just reminded me of Josh Ward's first goal. I thought it was an absolute ripper. What about our favourite marks for the year? Probably a bit, a bit tougher. I found this particular category a, a bit, a bit tricky to recall who's taken an absolute hanger. There hasn't been many of them. Mitch Lewis versus St Kilda right at the end of the game is one. Dylan Moore versus Sydney. I think Dill's taken a couple, hasn't he, this season? But, yeah, they, they would be my two. What about Frost? <laughs> <laughs> Down at Launceston, my God. <laughs> and then he kicked it. Frost coming from three <laughs> defenders deep to take that grab is ridiculous. Commentators are all, what's Frost doing up that end of the ground? And he just launches. Split-second vindication for Mitchell. Um, I'm with you, Nick. I reckon... Dill Moores against Sydney down in Tassie is the one that really stood out. I was a bit like you. I'm like, when I went through the rundown this afternoon and had a look at that question, I'm like, do any really stick out? And that's the first one that jumped into my mind. So I'm like, well, if that's the one that's standing out, we'll probably have to go with that. It was a classic um, sort of training bag sort of mark. <laughs> I can't remember who he took it over, but it was just sort of picture perfect. It wasn't anything that snazzy or sensational about it, but he just sat on the guy, got good air and just landed perfectly. It was like, 
that's just stuff that you do when you lead up to the match. Well, I've already mentioned Newcomb's mark, so I don't know why he doesn't sit forward more often. It just frustrates me. Yeah, God knows the rest of the midfielders do. <laughs> well, I guess he can't be everywhere. It's one of our best um, rebound 50 players. What about the players that are set for a big second half of the season? This is going to be the question on a lot of listeners' minds, I reckon. Well, DGB, a lot falls onto his shoulders now. Uh, I know he got dropped to the VFL for some reason that a lot of people can't define. But um, now with Frost out for a while, looks like there's a lot resting on his shoulders unless they go the blank check and just bring him into the lineup for um Well, we've got the dogs on Friday night, so they've got some tall forwards, but I don't know. I feel good about this Friday. <laughs> just thought you'd sneak that in. I'm excited. We get a 7 o'clock game. We'll get to that game in just a second, but uh, I had a few nominations for players that might step up in the second half of the season. Uh, Blank being one of them, I think he'll get his chance. Whether or not it's this week, I'm not too sure. Uh, I think Reeves will continue to really impress and establish himself as quite a good ruckman. <laughs> That's my prediction. Uh, and also, I think Finn, Finn McGuinness might find his way back into the lineup, and I hope, I hope it's as a midfielder. Can we please pull the trigger on that? Give him a go. See what we've got with him as an inside mid, please. I'm in the same position of probably putting Finn as the top of my list. And I look back to that Melbourne game, the blanket job he did on Ed Langdon in that game is some of the better tactical stuff I've seen from Sam Mitchell. And we've talked previously on this show, and it's it's a common talking point around Hawthorne fans is if Finn can be a tagger going forward. If you use his endurance like that, and use him on a player like Langdon and try to shut him out of the game. I reckon that is a really exciting element to add to this team. And I'd love to, I don't know necessarily who those matchups are going to be in the games for the rest of the season, but I'd love to see Sam try that a bit more. Yeah, I'm all for that. Yeah, I love having that in the arsenal of the club. Um, The fact that we have another player like that now that can do a job, a very specific job, on a, uh, a weapon for the opposition and completely blanket them. I think that's a that's a great thing to have. We've got to see what he can do. He's got the body. like He's much bigger than Will Day, Ward, the other boys. He's ready. And they've just got to give him license. I think so. Uh, we move on to talking about some of the players that might have an uncertain future at the club. Uh, I've named at least three, but I'm curious as to which players came to mind for you guys. Josh Morris. You want to want to tackle that one? Well, he's playing great footy in the VFL, but do you earn a contract off just simply playing VFL? I don't think you do. If you can't break into the senior side, if you're not getting a look in, then you probably don't keep him around. You don't keep him on the books. I mean, that's my point. That's my concern with him is that he he reeks of James Cousins to me in that he's a guy who can really play well at VFL, really look good at that level. And then you bring him up to the AFL level and he just doesn't look like he belongs there. And the fact that he's had one crack at it this year, and that was as an injury sub, it to me, it seems like they don't have that faith in him either. And at the end of the day, the list decisions are being made on things like that. They're not being made on personal opinion of what a guy's like or what he's going to contribute. It's been made on whether you see him play at that level regularly. And if the club hasn't, seen him as a genuine option so far this year, I find it hard to see how they do. That's been the, the case for, well, let's see, Phillips, he, he was finding it very hard to stay on that side, kept getting dropped, and he was taking big numbers at VFL and looking well above the level down there. Um, so you'd have to wonder where, where he stands at the end of the year, especially if he can't get back into good form or good fitness by the end of the year. The other bloke is Howe who keeps flitting in and flitting out of the lineup? that would be another bloke I'd be talking about and wondering. And um, Jekka, even though I see his ceiling is very high, um, didn't hit his straps at the beginning of the year, even though he had Kaczynski next to him down there, which should have made things easier. Um, and and now he's injured. And, you know, I think Box Hill will make finals. So he'll have his stage. But, yeah, I, it, you've got to make five changes. So it's got to be five come off the list and you can offer them rookie spots. So you'd you'd probably think if uh, Brockman was to stay at the club, he'd become a rookie, something like that. Um, So, yeah, apart from that, Connor Downey is also one guy who hasn't impressed either. And he had big raps coming to the club and I know he spent 
very little on him to get him there. But it was interesting on the night other clubs were talking up how much they wanted him, trying to force our hand, and uh, we wouldn't be budged. Moving back to your point on Jekka, that was very similar with what we saw with Sam Grimley when he was at the club, and that he looked like he had an incredibly high ceiling. And I just wasn't didn't click and sometimes that's the that's the disappointing thing about football is that you don't have that extended period of time like you do in some other sports like uh, as you guys know i'm a baseball nerd you can leave a guy in triple a for six seven years and see if they develop into being quality enough to make a major league roster and you have that ability to really work with them really give them a chance to develop. You don't have that opportunity with this sport. Sometimes you have to make those hard calls. And there's guys like Jekka and like um, Morris, who you just have to look at them and say, we're going to have to make a move. Sorry, guys. Well, to your point on Jekka, uh, his stage is set imminently. Uh, looking at the injury list, which we'll get to a little bit later, uh, he's, as a test, coming off a hamstring injury. So his return is imminent now. And uh, he really has to seize this back half of the season to really impress. Uh, the guys that we've already mentioned, Connor Downey is one, a, a hamstring injury at just the most inopportune time where he needed to prove himself. And that's he'll be robbed of that and might even lose his spot from the list. Uh, Seamus Mitchell is another guy. He's out for the season. Uh, and Dan Howe, we've already talked about. And, uh, well, there's three right there. Now, they're, they're all very obvious, pretty much. They've underperformed or they're underwhelmed. What about the guys whose best is behind them who are much harder decisions? I want examples. We've already mentioned Bruce. You're looking at Gunston. You've got Liam Shields as well. Their best is probably behind them, even though they can win you a game, you know, one in three, one in five, probably. And Shields has proved his worth when he's been selected. Very, very dependable. Doesn't make errors. Can get shown up on the speed side. You know, but if if Sammy is as he was last year, um, trying to move people on, trying to reshape the list as quickly as he can, these are some decisions he will be making. What about our win loss record from the remaining games? If you you look into well, how many games have we got? It looks like nine. Um, how are you guys looking at the rest of this season? Do we win too many more? Well, that's the question. How many is too many? In terms of the draft hand. It is a little bit like that, yeah. You're a bit torn at this stage as a Hawks fan because you don't want to win too many, but also from a selfish perspective, you want that joy in your life, don't you? There's nothing like a good win. I said to um, a few friends of mine going into this season, I thought we were about an 8-10 to 10 side, 8-10 to 10 wins this year, and what, we're 4-9 and nine at the moment? So you look through the remaining games, I'm sure we'll go through them a little bit further into detail, but... Crows at Marvel Stadium stands out to me. Eagles at the MCG, you have to win that with how West Coast has been playing. We go to Hobart, which is really weird. It's so strange to see us go to Tassie and not go to Launceston, but we play North in Hobart. You'd hope we could win that. And then on top of that, you've still got two games in Tasmania. One's against Gold Coast who stitched us up, obviously, up in Darwin, but you feel like in Tasmania that's more tilts towards Hawthorne and the same with the dogs in round 23 and as Tiz said he's already pretty confident that we're going to win this week so you, you can see them winning another three or four games in that run and judging by I think it was champion data said we've got the second easiest run home of the whole competition yeah it is a great run home I have us picked in for um four four wins and that'd be Crows Eagles North and Suns Suns being the one I'm least confident of in that group I, I don't think we'll get five that that's starting to stretch it a little bit. Uh, I wonder what four wins does for us, though. That puts us in that no man's land on the ladder, unfortunately, and that does affect our draft hand. So, I don't know. As Tiz, you mentioned, I'm I'm pretty torn on it. What if we got three in a draw? Would that be all right? <laughs> Depends who the draws against. North. No. no. <laughs> Not having that. Um, listening to. Uh, coverage of the football on the weekend they were talking i believe it was one of the fox games that i was watching 13 wins is probably going to be eighth this year it's going to be a relatively high winning season to get into the final so eight wins that's probably still 
13th or 14th on the ladder, which that's an early enough pick that you'd be relatively happy with that, I think. Well, speaking all things wins and losses, we do have a game this Friday, 7pm, coming back from the bye. It's Western Bulldogs versus Hawthorne at Marvel Stadium, and a bit of a selection dilemma yet again here for Hawthorne, as uh, Frost comes out of the side and not sure who else, but you've got the likes of Gunston, who could be available, and Mitch Lewis is set to come back in. You've got Tom Phillips, who's available. Jarman Impey could come back. Oh, I think it's pretty obvious, Nick. Uh, Jack Gunston starts at fullback. We're just throwing the magnets around this year. Frost is going forward. Gunston's going to defence. Um, they're going to play Ned Reeves as the rover. They're putting Nuke in the ruck. It's just, it's just going to be madness in the second half of the season, ladies and gentlemen. Lockie Bramble's at the concession stand buying a hot dog. Harry Morrison sitting in the stand with me, just having a beer and a chat. <laughs> it's like my uh, loat teacher who coached us in year seven footy coming out and saying all right where do you want to play this quarter (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I still said full back there was something wrong with me I tell you this says a lot I feel (laughs) Uh, what are we thinking guys who do you bring in for this game because well also who do you bring out Frost is the is the guy that we can't budge on he's got an injury Um, three to five weeks with a knee complaint uh, so who comes out, who comes in? What do we think of Jackson Callow? Uh, missed that goal, didn't have much of an impact all day, but I feel like he's a bloke that needs to be told, you've got three weeks in the seniors, have a crack. Yeah, I like the cut of his jib. I want to see more of him at the level. Um, I'm just not necessarily convinced he holds his spot, that's all. Well, he seemed to be a basket case, just total, totally nervous for much of that game. Jackson is connected to my former club, North Launceston, so I will not have this disparagement set against him. This is- <laughs> From that side, you probably have to see Cole Hardigan coming out of the team. I know that's two changes to the back line and relatively key pillars in losing Frost and Hardigan, but that opens the door to bring Granger Brass back into the team, which is always a good start. Um, Josh Morris, do you give him a proper run this week? He came in as the injury sub, didn't have a lot of opportunity and I think he ended up with well I know in fact he ended up with him because I'm reading his stats at the moment but he ended up with one handball for the game so he didn't get he didn't even get a crack to see if he was going to have any impact on the game anyone who's watched Box Hill will know what I'm referring to there's something there and if you're gonna flip the switch on that now is the time to do it but I don't know I don't know to just Bramble, like Impey's out of the side at the moment. Does Bramble hold his spot? Because if he doesn't, then that's an opportunity for Morris, I feel. But yeah, I don't know. I think Blank might be a chance. So just maybe they don't do it this week. I don't know. We've got a real advantage in the ruck this week. So if we play tall forward, we, we might be able to have some... Look, I'd just love to see some more easy goals. <laughs> yeah, said Hawthorne fans everywhere. Because they all seem so hard. Well, you had to work very hard for the goals against Frio and they got some very easy goals and I just want it to happen where we just get the easy goals and they have to work really hard. Can we organise to get you down to the Hawthorne rooms? I just want to see some easy goals, guys. <laughs> With English not available for the Western Bulldogs, do you, if he's fit, do you bring Max Lynch in there and say, well, look, we're going to have the better of the run in the ruck anyway between you and Noodle. Do you get them to play together? and try and actually get a bit of consistency in that pairing, considering that's where it looks like we're going to be going long-term in terms of our ruck options. Is that what you want to see? Do you want to see us playing two rucks? I'm not against it. I'm not against it either. In fact, I think that's what the club's leaning towards. It's just whether they bring Lynch in. He's listed as a test with concussion again. So maybe he misses another week. Maybe he's available. I'm not sure. Gee, you're talking about blokes who have had a bad run too. Wow, has he had a bad run this year. He's the most unlucky player I've heard of. And uh, he's actually launching a podcast um, coming up this week. So it should be interesting to, to hear everything he's gone through. I've no doubt he recounts some of his tales from the, from this season. But um, if they don't bring Lynch in, that could be cause to retain Callow just to just try and stretch the dogs for a big body, like play Callow in the ruck and have Reeves resting forward. That could be dangerous for the dogs, or vice versa. How far are we from away from seeing Long again? He's listed as a test, coming off a hamstring. So whether he comes back in a box hill this week, I guess we'll wait and see. I'm itching to see him in the AFL. Yeah, same. But, you know, the, the dogs have had, f- is it three or four forced changes? And, 
that's that's got to spell opportunity for Hawthorne. Well, we're playing for the Tim O'Brien Cup, as we know, <laughs> and it's going to be an important <laughs> clash to walk away with that trophy. And if not, we'll just say we almost did. Oh, jeez. <laughs> the funny thing is when you when you mentioned um, best marks of the year, I'm like, does Tim O'Brien still play for us or did that mark happen last year? I can't remember. Oh, uh, what? You mean you haven't seen seen him tearing it up for the Bulldogs? I was surprised by that. I, you imagine when a guy you go out and get a guy as a free agent like that, he'd be getting a bit more game time. It's It's been... I don't follow the dogs, obviously, as close as I follow Hawthorne, but that seems like a strange one to me. Classic Bevo. Classic Bevo. Uh, we also don't play uh, Taylor Jaray. Taylor Jaray was injured last week, and, uh, yeah, he'll be missing for this clash, so... Very little Hawthorne representation. That was awful to watch. Yeah, you hope his career doesn't end in that fashion. That would be a bit nasty. He's looked pretty good this year in the time I have seen him, so hopefully maybe maybe one more year. Here we had a question from Numo. Uh, does McGuinness get a game this week against the Dogs midfield as a run-with player, or do we back ourselves to go head-to-head? Now, McRae is obviously a ball magnet, and if you wanted a player to do a job, maybe it's Finn's time to have a crack there. I would love to see that. Yep, I'd fully support that as well. I reckon that would be a really good move. Well, I think if we see his name in the ins, then we know exactly what Sam Mitchell's trying to do. So, yeah, fingers crossed. I look forward to seeing that too. Uh, This question from James. We may have lost a shocker at Marvel earlier this season, but do you think our new fast game plan suits Marvel compared to our Clarko style that would always see us play terribly at the ground? We've got a winning record at Marvel. (laughs) We do, we do. And Clarko's been there most of the time, so... There, there's, there were things that didn't come together with the Essendon game, clearly. But we did, throughout that game, produce patches of our best footy. I think we can produce some good footy against the Dogs. I just want to see him run with this game style, personally. I, I, I like it. It's fun to watch. And that's all I'm asking for at the moment. If they're developing and they're at least enjoyable to watch, they're not going to be perfect. And you don't, you don't want to see something that is working a lot of the time and go away from it for any reason. So just... Just roll with it. If if we get done, we get done at the end of the day. Worth mentioning as well that this weekend, uh, back in VFL action, it's going to be Footscray, of course, uh, taking on Box Hill, hosting them at Witten Oval, Saturday, 1.05pm. No clash there. No clash with those games. So you can check out the Friday night game, then get down to Witten Oval for Box Hill as well. Uh, Staying with VFL, well, we move into VFLW action. Just worth a mention that... uh, the Hawthorne VFLW side, their season came to an end, sadly, uh, bowing out the semi-final against the Southern Saints. 8-7-55, defeated Hawthorne 6-3-39. A do-or-die final at City Oval. Um, it was a shame that such a sensational home-and-away season uh, had to end like that, but lick our wounds and look forward to the AFLW, I suppose. Well, the AFLW is the priority, as we found out. Uh, all those players moving into pre-season, and I thought they did extremely well to match it for a, well I mean they came back in that third quarter and they looked a chance um, when they were totally undermanned so yeah I mean it was fair to say that it was a pretty new look Hawthorne outfit um, compared to even the week before you know, undermanned against Essendon horribly and then you know a, a very young and experienced side going to that semi-final even more so as uh, we missed all of our AFLW players and as you say, Tiz, slamming on three goals in quick succession was very exciting. We did pinch the lead. But the Saints the Saints were opportunistic. We made some terrible mistakes and they just ran away with it in the end. And yep, disappointing end to the season for them, but riding the bumps with a grin with that team from the start of the season through to the end, uh, I think everyone should be very proud of what they created, what they achieved. This is a club that produced 15 AFLW signees. They're basically a footy factory, the one club. And... Uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And now we're on to something huge as well. If you, you're you being following the social media accounts, and I'm going to give a massive shout out to the great Meg Hutchins, who's been tagging every new player in her social media. So it's like, okay, cool. I can quickly build up following our list. And they're showing videos from their training and what they're getting up to inside the inner sanctum of Hawthorne's AFLW setup. And I'm excited. I'm so excited to see what's happening with it now. It, it's... For even when they announced the club was coming in, it didn't really feel real at that moment. And now it's starting to feel real. It's starting to feel like this tangible thing that's in your hands that we finally have our AFLW side built on the great work that this VFLW club has done. And there's a reason there's a lot of crossover in faces there. 
but it, it feels real and you're starting to really get that hype for what this season's going to bring for this football club. And I just want to speak to that hype as well. I, I might have shared this on the podcast in a previous episode. I don't really recall, but it was an M10 one afternoon. It would have been at halftime or something, chatting with a guy that I hadn't seen in standing room before. And uh, we got talking about the, the VFLW because I was excited about the, the team's season. They basically, you know, hadn't, hadn't lost a game since February. We're on an absolute roll. Um, and I was saying how excited I was. And the guy's like, ah, just not really into women's footy. It hasn't really connected with me. And I'm like, mate, we've got a team now. And I promise you, if you invest your time in it, as I have, this is the first proper season of women's footy that I've really followed from start to finish because it's brown and gold, basically, because it's Hawthorne. And I wanted to ride the bumps with the green into the AFLW season. When you start connecting with it, you'll get swept up in it. You will start having favorite players. You'll start watching the highlights. You'll read the news. You get into it. And I very much encourage everyone to, uh, yeah, follow Meg Hutchins' lead. Get swept up in it. Like, find out who these players are. Follow the draft. That happens Wednesday, June 29. When you start, when you catch that wave, you'll absolutely love it. I promise you that. That's the other thing there, too, is that there are a lot of fans who would follow our men's club and haven't been able to get into AFLW and they might watch a few VFLW games here and there. And I get that because it's hard to invest in something where your club's not involved, but this is our club at the end of the day. This isn't a women's team that just happens to be under the banner of the Hawthorne football club. No, this is the Hawthorne football club. This is as much a part of who we are as anything that we do. So get behind it, embrace it. And as Nick said, you're not going to regret it. You're going to feel that you're a part of something special. And also, I don't know many people who were alive in 1902 when the Hawthorne Footy Club were founded and have been following them then their entire life. You have an opportunity here to be there on the ground floor and be a part of building something with this team. And that, to me, that's really exciting. Well, we were there for that VFLW Premiership. That was a great day. And... uh there's been some real effort in trying to create an ethic and an ethos around the women's team. And I just want to point out, if you remember last year when uh, we played Gold Coast in the VFL and I, I seem to remember they had four listed Gold Coast players and the, West, the rest were call-ins, well, that's practically what happened on the weekend in that final. And for them to find it within themselves to kick three goals to catch the lead in the third quarter is just... Pretty ridiculous when they had <laughs> really no time to gel. So, look, it'll be a fantastic, it'll be a fantastic start to the AFLW season. And you know, we have given up this finals campaign basically to concentrate on that. So, I expect big things. And no one's happy about it. <laughs> let's let's point that out. I don't think anyone involved at the club is is happy that they were forced to do that. Well, I mean, I... it's it's out of their hands. They can't. They just can't do the AFLW preseason into the AFLW season and and play these finals as well. They just don't have the bodies ready for that. There's a matter of, um, you know, player welfare and well-being and that sort of thing and prioritising what you have to prioritise. They've already played how many rounds, Nick? I mean, it's just... It's a long season and it's absolutely cutting into preparation for the AFLW. So, anyway, something to look forward to. As I say, Wednesday, June 29, the AFLW draft. We'll be watching that with interest, particularly as we have... <laughs> the most outrageous hand of draft picks uh, compared especially to the other Victorian clubs. That's going to be great. Uh, we've got a few questions to get to as we seek to wrap up. Uh, this one from Neil. How perfect would Fergus Green be for this team next year? Uh, well, I guess if uh, Bruce and Gunston have shown the door that uh, Fergus Green could look pretty good in the VFL. Oh, jeez, you're harsh. If Gunston and Bruce fall off our list sooner rather than later, Fergus Green is a really good show. Like, he'll... I suspect when that does happen, when both are off the list, he'll be 25, 26. And that is a pretty good age profile for Hawthorne, actually. Yeah, you're not going to punch me on Friday night when you see me, are you? <laughs> for that one? <laughs> I'm sure I'll find other reasons. <laughs> Rapid fire questions from Toilet Duck. Yes, Toilet Duck. Good to have you aboard again. Number one, if it came down to a choice between the Rat or Dipper in their prime, why would you go with Chris Langford ahead of them? Oh, Chris Langford running through the centre of the MCG or Princess Park and kicking to Dunstall was a thing of beauty that even Dipper and the Rat couldn't couldn't accomplish. It just couldn't eclipse that. Wonderful. When you walk into my house, the first thing you see 
literally on the wall inside the front door is Chris Langford holding the jumper above his head after the merger game. That's that's Hawthorne to me. Like, love all those three, but Chris Langford is Hawthorne. I'm more of a Will Langford fan myself. Um, <laughs> you could blind her in a grand final in fairness to him. I'm being facetious, of course. Uh, number two from Toilet Dark. Would Dunn still have been able to, in his prime, rock a Dermy-style haircut? Oh, he had a, he had a massive... Um, Mullet phase? Yeah. But uh, that faded pretty quickly, and Pritchard and Gary Ayres took up the slack. <laughs> <laughs> That, Dunstall with a dermy haircut would be magnificent. I included that question just for the visual. Uh, number three, should we mandate our captains wear long sleeves like Tuck? That's going as far to the opposite side as we can from Alistair Clarkson, from no long sleeves to the captain must. That is, that's an intense swing. <laughs> Mandatory long sleeves. Uh, and this question from Dino, any sport? I, I threw the questions out in a very general way. I asked people to hit us with anything since it's the buy round. This question from Dino, any sport... Top three greatest moments that come to mind. Our personal favourites or what we'd view as the great sporting moments. He didn't specify. I guess you can take it in any spirit you like. I'll go personal ones. So 2013 prelim, which will probably to my dying day be the greatest game of football I've ever watched and just will forever mean everything to me. Uh, Boston Red Sox 2013 World Series run coming off the back of the Boston Marathon bombings and uniting the city of Boston behind the Red Sox to charge to a World Series. And um, as you guys know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of American sports. That won't mean things to everyone, but the numbers 28 to 3 means the world to me. The New England Patriots coming back from the impossible to beat the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl. It's a pretty good list, Nick. What do you got? Let's see. I mean, 2013 prelim is, is pretty special. And 2008 Grand Final is one of my favourite days ever. Not just the game, just everything about that day. And obviously the result being a huge part of it. One of my favourite days ever, personally. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try something else with the list and go for moments that obviously weren't personal to me. I think uh, Derek Redmond's uh, injury and then being helped by his dad in the 1992 Olympics, that makes me emotional. So it's hard to overlook. And I think a special shout out to uh, Steve Bradbury, who after all these years, I'm still I'm still on the fence about in terms of how I feel about it. Because he wasn't the best, but then he was in the conversation to be the best. And maybe that's enough. Maybe that's fine. He deserves it. He was there and he won. He deserves it. And, and <laughs> it was a ridiculous win, but he was there and he deserves it. Uh, well, the first really big sporting moment that got me out of the chair and dancing around the living room was Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer scoring the 99 last minute of the Champions League. 2008, that beating, beating Geelong. I don't think you can get past that premiership for me. And then third, oh, I, I don't think I can put these in order because the 2008 premiership I, I attended and... That was just on a tel- on a very very tiny television screen watching Solskjaer put that in, and then I did actually uh, nearly knock the TV over. <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was pretty early in the morning. Oh, I don't know third one. Gee, um, I I saw Buddy kick those goals against Essendon. The one from the centre square against Collingwood was ridiculous. I think I'd have to go with that. I wanted to ask you, Tiz, was two thousand and eight like me? Was that your first grand final? You mean with Hawthorne? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's part of why it made it so special for me. Yeah, definitely. All right, final question here uh, from listener Andrew. Uh, If train A leaves at noon from San Francisco and heads for Chicago going 40 miles per hour, two hours later, train B leaves the same station, also for Chicago, travelling at 60 miles per hour, how long until train B overtakes train A? The answer, Andrew, is four hours. All right, well, that's going to be the show. Did you actually work that out? I just copied and pasted into Google. Oh, really? (laughs) My answer was going to be yes. (laughs) Also valid. Uh, We need to wrap up here. Now, if you like what you've heard and you could spare a second, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave our show a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Not only does it make our day to see stuff like that, it also helps other hawkers to find the show. And we'd love to also have you on Twitter, twitter.com slash hawktalkpod. 
Uh, we're about 3,600 followers now, which is really exciting. Meanwhile, over on Facebook, we're just five likes away from an amazing milestone there. So get on board, facebook.com slash hawktalkpod. And of course, you can find us on Instagram too. And uh, the big one for us, if you love what we do and you feel like you want to support the show, you should become a proud, passionate and paid up Patreon subscriber and get some sweet perks in the process. You can sign up at any tier really, starting from a dollar. Most people like to get on board for the bonus content. Plenty of that going around at the moment, including our mid-season ratings player by player for access to that and plenty more check out the details at patreon patreon.com slash hawk talk pod aj thank you so much for being part of our show tonight uh any plugs thank you for having me boys uh no plugs for me just um go hawks and go red Sox for me brilliant that was easy i thought that was gonna be more in depth just us with our many many annoyingly many plugs as as per usual oh did i mention we've got stuff on redbubble as well redbubble.com and search hawk talk podcast you find our merch there uh, i mean we could just go on and on and on so much happening with the hawk talk podcast gentlemen how are we feeling about friday we seem confident i'm feeling relatively good i i like our chances the bulldogs are massively undermanned particularly in the ruck department it gives reeves a real chance to go out and show i'm not just i'm not just a good ruckman i am really good i can be a premier guy in this competition in the future um look for ned reeves to have a big game and i reckon we might just get the chocolates oh i'm expecting big things from chadley wingard to this uh this friday without taylor duray there to squash him it's all over chad versus timmy now you watch out chad will just shark everything that tim doesn't mark oh (laughs) you'll end up with seven goals we love you timmy we do that'll be it for this week thank you once again andrew johnston uh for joining us uh western bulldogs versus hawthorne at marvel stadium friday 7 p.m looking forward to that 7 p.m not 7 20 not 7 50 it's a weird time at 7 p.m we'll see you at marvel stadium and we'll be back next week to recap all the action from that game We are a happy team at Hawthorne.